1: Thank you for your support. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with David Ehrlichman about building impact networks that are making a real difference in the world. to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's great to be with you. I'm excited to have a nice conversation around building impact networks to make a real difference in the world. And ultimately, this is, I think, what we all want. We all want what we do to matter, we want to make a difference, we want the world to be a better place for our families, for our children. Um, and increasingly younger generations, millennial and Gen Z individuals, they they just really have this drive to, to make an impact in the world and to make a difference. Um, but the question is, how do we go about doing that? How do we do that effectively? Uh, it's it's one thing to have good intentions, it's another thing entirely to be effective <laughs> and productive And how we're trying to go about um, driving change and and driving social impact. So this is what we're going to be unpacking today. We'll talk about social impact and impact networks generally, but we'll also try to tie it back to what organizations and organizational leaders can and should be doing to connect their teams to this work, because that's a really great differentiator and it's a great way to motivate and attract and retain really great talent if you're doing meaningful uh, work in driving uh, a positive difference in the world. As we get started, I wanted to share David's bio with everybody. David Ehrlichman is a catalyst and coordinator of Converge and author of Impact Networks, Create Connection, Spark Collaboration, and Catalyze Systemic Change. With his colleagues, he has supported the development of dozens of impact networks in a variety of fields and has worked as a network coordinator for the Santa Cruz Mountain Stewardship Network, Sterling Network, uh, New York City, and the Fresno New Leadership Network. He speaks and writes frequently on networks, finds serenity in music, and is completely mesmerized by his newborn daughter. That's wonderful. Congratulations on your daughter. I agree completely with children um, as well as with music, and I'm a uh, just fascinated by this social impact space, I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to chat with you today. Anything else you would like listeners to know about yourself your background before we dive on in? Yeah, I mean it might be
0: helpful to share how I got into this work in the first place um, you know about 15 years ago or so I was working at a nonprofit and knew that I wanted my work to have purpose as you said uh, and this nonprofit was... And still is doing incredible work. Uh, they support men and women without shelter to get trained and find jobs in the food industry, uh, truly changing people's lives. But at the same time, I also recognize that this organization was working in this massive broken system where there are just uh, a constant stream of lack of affordable shelter and people who are going without shelter on a daily basis, uh, especially here in Seattle where I'm uh, living, and. Uh, from that experience, I started to get really curious about how it might be possible to work, not just in one particular organization, but really across organizations and work at a systemic level. Uh, how could we address the root causes uh, that lead to challenges like homelessness, or climate change, or environmental degradation, or lack of economic opportunity, whatever it might be, social inequity? Uh, so. Eventually, that led me to Monitor Institute, which is the social sector wing of a uh, consulting firm. And it was there that I discovered how some organizations were increasing their impact not by scaling up and creating a bigger and bigger organization, but instead by scaling out. Uh, so, for example, an organization was offering its kind of core program to others, allowing other groups and organizations to deliver that core program through their own brand. And so even if that original organization maybe wasn't getting the credit that they deserved, they were drastically increasing their reach and impact through connections by collaborating with others. And I also discovered how there were actual more formal networks of organizations that we're organizing. Uh, One example that's been around since 2005 is the REAMP network. Uh, This connects over 140 organizations uh, across nine states in the Midwestern United States. The the purpose that brings them together is to equitably reduce uh, or eliminate carbon emissions across those nine Midwestern states. And... Uh, these networks, like Ramp and others, are actually staffed. Uh, they are actually dedicated people whose job it is to to find the intersections between different organizations. You know where they where they do agree, and uh, there's a lot they disagree, and acknowledging that as well. Um, but really finding opportunities for them to support each other's work and to do things together that they. Could never do alone. Uh, and REAMP was extremely successful at uh, shutting down 140 coal plants, uh, stopping any new coal plants from being built. They passed energy efficiency policies and transportation efficiency policies in a number of states. So that was really the kind of the light bulb moment for me. Uh, I, I knew I wanted to investigate this type of work across organizations. Uh, firsthand. Uh, And so that's when then I had the the opportunity to work in Fresno, California uh, for three years as a network coordinator for the Fresno New Leadership Network, which was bringing together organizational leaders across all sectors to revitalize their city. And uh, that led me to uh, work in Santa Cruz Mountains region, which was uh, an effort to uh, steward half a million acres of land. And Uh, It's a good example of why this work matters when it comes to large scale land conservation. There's not any one organization or uh, sector who can make the difference on their own. The the land is owned and managed by this patchwork quilt of of government agencies and academic institutions and land trusts and and timber companies and tribal groups. and so you know, the only way that we can address these systemic issues is by working systemically, and that means working across divides and across organizations. Uh, and so I'm happy to get more into that. But that led me yeah. to, uh, you know, co-found Converge in 2013, and, and get the opportunity to work with a number of networks and, and see the common patterns between them. Even though they're they're different in terms of the why and the what,
1: there's a lot that that is the same. Yeah, well, thank you for that background about how you got into the work. And also, you did a really good job of articulating the the scope and scale of these challenging issues, right? There's all these different um, problems and issues we're trying to address. And almost always, traditionally, the way they've been addressed is really just like playing (laughs) whack-a-mole. Because you don't have... uh, like you said, you said uh, many times over the last couple of minutes, you have to take a systems approach to systemic problems. And, and so if I want to try to alleviate, you know, the homelessness crisis or poverty or, or or hunger, or, you know, the impacts of climate change or whatever, like Mm -hmm. name the issue. Mm -hmm. um, And I want, and I think I can just start a nonprofit and and like actually do that. um, There's just no possible way because these are such complex challenges And if we really want to make a big, meaningful and sustainable impact, we have to bring people together so that we can look at the problem holistically and recognize, you know, really map out the system of the challenges that we're facing and then come with more holistic solutions that can truly address those problems. And then that just can't be done in isolation. We can't do that by ourselves. So we have to be able to build those types of networks. So I think you've actually done a a really good job already of really getting at what my first question was going to be. And that's, you know, what does it look like? You know, what does an impact network look like? How is it different from maybe other types of networks we tend to talk about in the business world? Because I think it is fundamentally different. But anything else you would like to add to what you've already said in terms of what impact networks are, why they're important, and how they differ from other sorts of networks.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and you said it well, I agree with everything you said. Um, oh, networks, At their most basic are webs of uh, people or things. They're the webs of relationships that connect people or things together. So there are networks all around us. There are technological networks like the routers and cables that make up the internet. Uh, There are neurological networks in our brains. Uh, There are fungal networks underneath your feet in a forest that connect different trees together and share nutrients and resources among them. And there are social networks, the uh, the networks of people that you come in contact with uh, through your day-to-day, in your personal life, through your work. And uh, most often, social networks form organically as you become introduced to new people and and form relationships. Uh, But what many people don't realize is that networks can actually be deliberately organized and supported around a specific purpose. Uh, And that's how we define impact networks. Impact networks uh connect individuals and organizations to uh for learning and collaborative action on a shared purpose. And t- to look at it from the perspective of a single organization, as you said, when uh organizations are trying to you know, address these big complex issues, just by nature it's it's natural for organizations to focus on a, a particular piece of that puzzle uh, and to have expertise in that piece of the puzzle. Uh, the uh, most organizations uh, move forward with a really intense focus on their own organization and on their mission, uh, for good reason. Uh, the and then seeing other actors and stakeholders and organizations and other groups around them that they could collaborate with to further their own mission. The essential shift, though, is to recognize that. You know, we work in these interconnected constellations of, of actors, and where there are many different groups who also you know, touch on or are impacted by or are working on similar issues. Uh, and, and so, an you know, initial step is to instead of putting your organization at the center of your focus all the time, uh, instead putting the, the shared purpose at the center of the focus, you know, what is the thing that, that we care about that many other groups also care about? Uh, and, and then connecting the dots between them, actually finding ways to, to build connection, to strengthen coordination, to, to collaborate at, uh, at, on the systemic level. Uh, and that's really what it means to build an impact network. It's finding the shared purposes that align us and then creating more intentional connections around them so that we can
1: do things together that we can't do alone. Yeah, and that sounds wonderful, but it's also not easy to do. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So how, how do you, how do you go about uh, creating meaningful impact partnerships to expand your impact network?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it isn't easy. Um, I think maybe expanding on the Santa Cruz Mountain Stewardship Network example that I uh, alluded to early earlier. Um, you know, when we bring different groups together—government agencies, and timber companies, and tribal groups and land trusts—often you know, uh, folks may see each other as, you know, really disagreeing with their own perspectives, or sometimes even in competition. Or, uh, you know, what they're fighting against uh, sometimes in terms of the, the land trusts and the timber companies—they do not see eye to eye on many things. Um, but in the process of bringing groups together to have real human, honest conversations about the things they care about, you know, if we dig deep enough, there's usually a lot of common ground, uh, even though we disagree a lot uh, about a lot of different things. We might disagree about you know, how to best go about this work or what we do or or different aspects of it, but but. All these groups cared about the the health and ecological vitality of the land you know, they, they cared about um, uh, defending the land against uh, you know, invasive property development um, they They saw the risk of catastrophic wildfire, you know, which is a huge issue in that region and and so you know, the question then is you know, how can we work together and support each other around the things that we do agree on? the point is not to get everybody to do the same thing uh the point is not to get everybody to like each other or agree with each other uh that kind of conflict can be a really good thing if it's generative and it's important that we share our honest perspectives and and recognize the places where where we disagree uh and at the same time uh there is a lot of overlap uh, and we can work towards those particular aspects of it So in this case, uh, the the many members of the network recognize the need to develop a, a much more comprehensive vegetation map for the region, that would allow all of them to recognize the places that were at risk of catastrophic wildfire, and then to take action to uh, make sure the you know their parcels of the land were resilient to that uh, and to you know work together kind of across these jurisdictional boundaries when the need called for it and different uh, government agencies were actually able to then work together uh, across their city lines in ways that didn't happen before because they recognized the kind of mutual uh, mutuality in in this work and they also had formed uh, relationships that kind of Transcended the the usual kind of professional connections that people might make together, uh, and this vegetation map is a multi million dollar project. Wouldn't have happened without the network. It's really the first of its kind, uh, and it's also not possible to develop if different groups aren't willing to you know release their data and kind of contribute to this collectively. Um, and just one more example there that uh, groups also saw that uh, permitting for restoration projects was. Really burdensome. It's the uh, same permitting process to restore a creek bed as it is to develop a new condo, Uh, and uh, they recognized that this was getting in a way in the way of a lot of conservation work. This and this wasn't something that every group had to agree on, but but the organizations whom this was uh, a key issue for were able then to to collaborate together to kind of use the strength of their collective voice. Uh, to make changes at the state level. And, and now there is an initiative called the Cutting Green Tape Initiative, which is reducing these burdensome um, uh, uh, restrictions and uh, permitting processes that that get in the way of of the work that they want to do.
1: Yeah, those are great examples. And uh, maybe just one more I'll share with you. Uh, some longtime listeners of the podcast might recognize this example. Um, I, I do a lot of work in the social impact space, Uh, I, I'm the academic director of our Center for Social Impact on my campus at Utah Valley University, Uh, and one of the things I'm currently working on, and you know, we have a whole range of programs and initiatives and projects, um, but I'm working with a group of other professors across campus, across disciplines, on a National Science Foundation project to look at uh, the health and rejuvenation of Utah Lake. So we have this massive lake that's adjacent to, um, I mean, just like half a mile from our university campus, um, that essentially gets underutilized. It, it was polluted for a really long time. And so there's the the environmental and physical health of the lake and, and, and those around the lake, but there's also the utilization of the lake as a natural, natural resource. Um, and, you know, businesses connected with like all these different things. So we have various physical scientists from around campus. We have communications professor we have a a geography professor myself from the business school like we're all working together trying to holistically tackle this problem and also recognizing you know that there are different municipalities all surrounding the lake there are um there's some uh, an organization called the utah lake commission that is is a loose network of some of these different entities but there's also the state legislature that largely impacts what we can and can't do. Um, there's fundraising efforts to bring about different restoration initiatives. There's all these different things, right? And if we want to move the needle, then we have to try to wrap our arms around all of these different things. Otherwise, nothing ever changes. Uh, and, and ultimately, you just have more of the same status quo uh, each and every day, and, in that, and that's not good for the lake, it's not good for the community. Um, so we all of us have these things around us, you don't have to like travel to another state to find pressing social environmental issues um, that you could be a part of that you could help to make a difference with. Uh, and, and one of the really great things about that I mean it's it's, I, it's not great that we have all these really Challenging problems, but it is an opportunity for us to engage. It's an opportunity for us to get involved and to get our people and our teams involved in something that matters. And so, you know, what whatever kind of work we do, whatever our product or service in our organization is, hopefully there's deep meaning and purpose that employees can derive from whatever the product or service is. But even if not, you can connect with these impact networks to make a big difference around these other adjacent issues uh, that are in your communities that people can start to make a difference on. And that is a huge, huge motivator for employees. They feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. And they have an opportunity to contribute here and now, not waiting to make a difference in the future, but actually doing it right now. And we need much more of that. Yep. And I, I would say too,
0: there are a number of organizations who have um, number one, kind of taking a network approach in their work, as I alluded to earlier, finding ways to scale out rather than scale up. Uh, but there are also organizations who have created impact networks to work alongside the existing hierarchy. Uh, you know, hierarchies do what they do well, uh, really well. They, um, But uh, sometimes we need networks to connect people across the organization in ways that the hierarchy can't. Uh, and this was the case in the Google Food Lab, uh, which brings employees and also outside experts together to address big food systems issues. And as you said, it uh, was a a great way for employees at Google to engage in something that they really cared about uh, that was sort of outside the scope of their usual day-to-day. And um, at UCSF Health, a massive health system I worked to help build a network that brought people together from across its 10 sites and 12 health disciplines to integrate palliative care and whole person care practices throughout the hospital system. Uh, so uh, when it comes to addressing big and systemic issues, it doesn't always mean you have to go outside even the walls of your own organization, you can find ways to connect uh, employees and and people from inside and out, outside the organization around something that they care about. And that can be really very motivating. One thing I also want to say about uh, collaboration in general is that uh, people in organizations embark on collaborative efforts all the time, uh, thinking they know how to do that. But typically, they're frustrated by the results. Uh, you know, there's collaboration fatigue. Sometimes the word itself makes people squirm. Uh, and why is that? What goes wrong? Well, Often I think it's they're, that they're trying to structure the collaboration like they would an organization. As a hierarchy with some central authority guiding the work and people fitting into specific roles to move it forward, uh, a key aspect here is that often groups who embark on these collaborative efforts try to plan it all out in advance, identifying specific and measurable outcomes for the effort uh, before people have even had a chance to get together and talk together and learn together. Uh, But this approach only works if we already know what needs to be done and how to do it. Uh, But the thing is, complex issues that we've been talking about today, they're experienced very differently by different people, and people are affected by the issue in different ways. They'll see things really differently depending on where they stand and As you mentioned, they're focused on one piece of this large and interconnected puzzle. So in our our work to address these really big and wicked complex issues, we can't plan it all out in advance. Instead, we need to bring different actors together to make sense of the issue and then to strengthen their ability to share information and resources, to coordinate their work, and to collaborate together to affect the whole system in ways that no group can on their own. And that's what it means to build an impact network.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I really appreciate that because far too often, like almost always, <laughs> I don't know if it's a Western culture thing, um, mm-hmm. but we, we tend to jump to solutions, right? Yep. And so we kind of have our narrow little piece of the puzzle. We recognize the that narrow piece of the problem, and then we want to have a solution to address it. And inevitably what ends up happening, because we're not talking to the broader, you know, set of stakeholders, is there are just regardless of whatever our our good intentions are, there's unintended negative consequences that are ripple effects of what we are trying to do because we're only playing Mm -hmm. whack-a-mole and only taking one little tiny slice of the issue. Mm -hmm. So we just have to listen. We have to talk to other people. We have to do our due diligence to map out the systemic issues and all the drivers of the different elements of the issues. And unless we do that, we just can't have the sustainable type of impact that we want to have regardless of whatever our good intentions might be and i do believe most people have good intentions um mm-hmm. but good intentions aren't enough
0: yep which really speaks to you know, the the approach then to developing impact networks you know how to actually do it well the first step is to you know find that shared purpose that connects different groups together we talked about earlier uh, what is the thing that you care about that many other groups also care about that they might be willing to come together uh, for an initial meeting to discover what might be possible? And, and then you know, the next step is to convene people together. Uh, and that's people who are directly impacted by the issue, who are doing compelling work on the issue, who can move the work forward. Uh, and importantly, that doesn't mean convening them, inviting them into your thing, It means inviting them into co-creating what is possible now that they're part of the group. Uh, So very quickly, the the individual or the organization who sees the need to connect different actors together for the first time, they can't then be the ones controlling or dictating the effort. They are, again, part of this constellation of actors and, uh, and providing support to the network without controlling it. And that's kind of a key distinction. And then as people are brought together, I think it's so critical to develop relationships of trust. And and that means taking the time to understand what each other cares about and needs to, to build deep human connections so that we can have the honest conversations that are necessary. And we build trust not so that we like each other or agree with each other, but so that we can hold attention through the inevitable disagreements and conflicts we'll face And so we can hang in there long enough until we can find a slice of common ground or at least have a greater understanding of each other's perspectives. And then as we do that, as we've kind of cultivated the network, started to build, form relationships around a central purpose, we can find immediate ways to coordinate actions, to support each other's work, to to connect the dots in in meaningful ways that really serve the self-interests of the people who are participating. We've been talking a lot to this point about the shared interests or the systemic interests, the things that we can do together. But in order to sustain your time, your organization's time in these types of networks, they really have to also serve the self-interests of the individuals and the organizations who are participating. And and we can do that by finding ways, again, to coordinate actions and to, to share resources, to share information in ways that support your existing mission. And then over time, that gives us the space to, to take a systemic view, to discover the leverage points in the system, places as Den- 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 Donella Meadows has said, a small shift in one thing would produce big changes in everything, and then to organize around those opportunities to create change at the systemic level.
1: Yeah, very, very well said. And a good summary there at the end. David, it has just been a real pleasure talking with you. Uh, I appreciate your time, your insights. Before we close, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work and your team, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Absolutely. It's
0: been great to be here, John. Thank you for having me. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Dave Ehrlichman, D A V i I'm also on LinkedIn, I post there frequently, that's uh, just my name. Uh, and then you can find uh, my work and my team's work, Converge, at converge.net is our website. Uh, at converge.net slash book, you'll find a link to Impact Networks. And also on our website, uh, we have tons of different tools and facilitation guides and other resources that are offered completely for free under a Creative Commons license. Uh, I want you to use them, to apply them to your own work and to the collaborative networks that, that you care about and want to build. And I guess the final word on this is, uh, it's all about relationships uh, that, you know, uh, it, it's what makes it all work. You know, networks are again, webs of connections between people or things. So networks are only as strong as the connections that time, tie them together. So if at any point you feel unsure about how to proceed in this work, invest in relationships. Uh, Relationships are really how fragmented systems can become more creative and adapted
1: and interconnected wholes. I love it. I love it. Thank you, David. It has been a pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what David can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week.